morning, everyone. I think we might have you online as well for the service. So welcome to you who are joining us. It's been a while since we've been live at 11. Um, this morning we are starting a new sermon series on the book of Ephesians, uh, a book that some early scholars or modern scholars have called the crown of Paul's writing. Some people say this is the quintessential Paul, the quintessence, and trouble saying that last service, the quintessence or the pinnacle, right, of, of all of Paul's writing. In fact, um, Charles Spurgeon, who is a, a famous theologian, once said this about Ephesians. He said, the epistle to Ephesians is the complete body of divinity. In the first chapter, you have the doctrines of the gospel. In the next, you have the experience of the Christians. And before the epistle is finished, you have the precepts of the Christian faith. Whosoever would see Christianity in one treatise or one treatment or one writing, let him read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the epistle to the Ephesians. Uh, another more modern scholar, N.T. Wright, who I think might love, you might be the only person on the planet who loves the London Eye more than I do, right? The London Eye is this giant Ferris wheel that, that hangs over London, and when you go up, you're not only high above everything, but you get to see how the city fits together, right? You get to see the familiar things like London Bridge or Big Ben, the real one, you know, that's the one who puts for the real one. Uh, but you get to see Parliament, Westminster Abbey, you get to see all these things, right? And then thinking about the London Eye, uh, N.C. Wright says, really, the, 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 the book of Ephesians is like that London Eye for, for scripture, for God's story, because in Ephesians, you get a bird's eye view of one scene after another within early Christian reflection. You get to learn about God, the world, Jesus, the church, the means of salvation, Christian behavior, marriage and family, and spiritual warfare, right? So for M.C. Wright, this idea that we're going to get the familiar, but perhaps from unfamiliar angles. But as I thought about going into this book and studying it together, I was also reminded of the words of Spurgeon who calls us to what to read, to mark, to learn, and to digest. Uh, the book of Ephesians is, is, is fascinating too because for, for maybe the last 50, 75 years, there's been this modern scholarship that, that doesn't align with the Paul. They say, well, the tone is different and, and the language is different and the, the themes are different. Well, it makes sense. When you write different letters to different people, you sound a little bit differently. But I think there's things in this letter that actually point to not only Paul being the author, but it's significant that Paul is the author because of what is being said. And it's not just, oh, someone who followed Paul came up with this, but he's looking from his own experience and how he sees God and how he thinks we're called to see God. For example, in the book of Ephesians, or in the book of Romans, Paul is talking to the individual Christian. You as an individual, what does it mean that you belong to Christ? What does it mean that you belong to the body of Christ? What does your faith look like? And it seems that the reason it sounds different is that he's not talking about the individual. He's talking about the community. And it seems that Paul focuses, well, what does it mean that we're the communion of the saints? What does it mean that we are the body of Christ? What does it mean that we're in this body together? Because Paul seems to think that matters. And it's fascinating because if you read through the book of Ephesians, you'll get this phrase over and over and over. And that's simply in Christ. And that's significant. It's significant, you know, when we're in the book of James, we talk about the significance of brethren, right? For every brethren in Christ. People are like, that's an old world, you need to lose it. I don't think we need to lose it, I think it's beautiful. Right? And I don't think it's beautiful that it's so significant of brethren, right? Like, that's like if I went to, like, some of the, the um, some of the, say, some of the Puerto Rican grandmothers who grew up my block, right? That Armando is the patriarchal leader, my classmate, you know? But that's just the relationship that we have, that's why we know love, right? But the idea of brethren, though, if you go back to the original Greek with this idea that we are the people chosen by God with God's blessing. Right? If you can find another word that can encompass all that, give it to me, I'll take it, right? But we are the people chosen by God, by God's special love. That's the brethren, right? 
But the incarnate and what Paul talking about here, what shows up in his writing, it actually is even better than that, if you will. It's just a different way of looking at a relationship with God. Because you see, in Christ, Paul is saying that Christ is our foundation. In fact, everything that we have, everything that's been done, has been done in Christ. Paul's going to position Christ as not only the Messiah, but as our King. So we have to kind of take a step back and then go into the ancient mind and the ancient vision of what it meant to be our king. Now, we, we, we think we have a representative government in this country, that we think we elect people to stand for us, right? And so start there, right? We're going to build on that, though. But the ancient, I think, had a little bit better than that, right? Think more at David and Goliath than the U.S. Congress, right? In David and Goliath, what do you have? You have David saying, I will fight in the name of the Lord. But David is Israel's representative. And that's what they did. Like, if you chose a king and you chose a representative, all your faith was tied to that king or representative. So when David fights Goliath, it's not just David versus Goliath, it's Israel against uh, our Philistines, right? And whoever wins, wins it all. So when the, the, the Old Testament or the New Testament, or the New Testament talks about being in Christ, what they're saying is that Jesus is our king. Jesus represents all of us. And just like David went into the battle of the shadow of death and took on the life and won in triumph and Israel got the blessing, Jesus went to God's And when Jesus took on sin and death and destruction and defeated it as our king, all the glory goes to us. We get the world the world. The world that's what it means to be in Christ. That our king has conquered and we get the benefit. Right? So, just like David was anointed, Christ was anointed. Just like David had to defeat the Goliath, Christ had to defeat sin and death and destruction. And just like David got to be king, Christ is now king. That's what it means to be in Christ. So, as we read through for our Ephesians, you'll see it time and time again. And every time you see in Christ, whether in the, the book of Ephesians, in the name of our church, May you be reminded that Christ is king, that Christ has conquered, and that all that we are, all that we have, all that we could ever dream to be, is possible in Christ. Amen? Your Bible tells me in Ephesians chapter 1, I'll be reading verses 15 to 23. Um, this is uh, the second half, or maybe the end of the chapter, but our whole focus today is going to be on the blessings that we have in Christ. Starting in verse 15, Paul writes, For this reason, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, Jesus, and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and it's incomparably great power for us to believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength. He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of Canaan, who fills everything in every way. What a blessing this morning to be in Christ. Father, now we thank you so much that you are indeed the God of all our blessings. And thank you for the blessing of your son, the anointed one, the Messiah, our Savior, our Redeemer, our King. 
God, we thank you that you so love the world. You sent your son. We thank you for being faithful in your promises. We thank you for being faithful in your deliverance. We thank you for being faithful in your many blessings. Lord, all that we have is through your son. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your faithfulness in coming to earth. We thank you for your faithfulness in showing us how to live in a way to please you. We thank you for your faithfulness for going to Calvary Street and dying the death that was for all of us. Lord, we thank you. And now that you've been made, now that you're working on heaven until it's perfect for us, you're seated in glory at the right hand of the power as King and Messiah over all things. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that it's you who draws us to God. That it's you that lives inside of us. That it's you that transforms us into the image of the Son. That it's you that is not just a down payment, but a seal of our inheritance, the sign of many things to come. So Lord, as you think about our position in you and the blessings that we have, May we be reminded of the call to not just pray for ourselves, but to pray for one another. May we have that same passion and verb that we come to you and pray for us in the same way we pray for one another. We thank you, Lord, that this morning we can celebrate not just being the people who are loved by you with your special love, but through Jesus our King, all the blessings of heaven come down on us. In the holy and precious name. Amen. The book of Ephesians begins with, with Paul talking about the blessings that we're going to have in Christ. What's fascinating is if you break this chapter into two, you'll see kind of like the first half of the chapter, he wants you to know your position in Christ, right? These are the many blessings you have because of what Jesus has done. And in the second half, which is kind of what we're going to focus on towards the end, he's going to talk about how we need to be praying for one another. By how we pray, we will see how we should pray for one another. But I think before we get into the Ephesians, it's just to give us a little bit of background so, so we know what we're getting into. We know the lay of the land. Now, Ephesians is, is a place that, that was very, very superstitious. It was a place that was grounded or uh, rooted in, and not just the Greek gods and goddess, the spirituality and the spirit realm, and it's happening into the spirit realm. Now, Ephesians is the, the, the word that shows up a lot in, in Ephesians is in the Greek is a uporanoi. Uporanoi, I think that's right. Uporanoi, right? And what's interesting about this is it gets translated as heaven, but it's not the heaven that we think of it, right? This, this eternal way is speaking of the spiritual world. Now, for us in the West, that's tricky, right? Because we think all we see is all there is. You leave anywhere outside the West, and they'll tell you the spirit world is real, right? Like, you want to go to the river, you're like, did you pray to God before you go to that river, right? Like, they believe not only is the spirit world real, but it's just as real as this world that we're in. So this is the people that, that Paul is writing to, people who believe that the spirit are not only there, but they're actually trying to interfere and work on them as they speak. Why is that important? It's important because if you're going to write or minister to people, you ought to know something about them, right? And it might be a little weird for us to think about this, but we do the same thing too. So, for example, if I said New Orleans, right? You would tell me what? Mardi Gras, jazz, food, right? Or if my, my working Cajun French would say, let's say Le Bon Père Roulet, you might get it. Let's say good times. Yeah, I need to pray for y'all. <laughs> that, that, was a, that was a trick. That was a trick to see who we need to pray for, right? Let's try another one. Let's try another one. Las Vegas, right? You know, listen, the city you never think the gambling capital of the world, right? If I say, what happens in Vegas? We go on Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night we have a meal here. And in that room over there we pray, right? So all you good times roll people. And what happens in Vegas? Just come to that room right there. We will pray for you, right? Now, I say all that to say that you need to know the people you're writing to. Right? And I think that's why I'm convinced that Paul wrote this letter, because he understands the 
bunch of formulas that they would recite to control the spirit. So this is who Paul is writing to. People who believe in the spirit world, people who submit to the spirit world, and people who use spirits for all around them. Now, I personally find it hilarious and funny, just how my mind works, that people who write down these inscriptions that they're going to follow, Paul's like, listen, I'm going to find the scroll, and I'll write you a letter. But my letter isn't going to be to control the spirit, it's going to be to open your eyes to who has the real power. My one is going to be to open your eyes to see who is the real God of this world. And so if you're familiar with the scrolls, I'm going to give you a scroll to actually place you to be there. And the other reason that we know that Paul writes is because Paul was very familiar with Ephesus. In fact, in Acts 19, Paul is in Ephesus ministry. And Ephesus had become, and over the, the course of the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire, Ephesus was not just a, a place of, of, of state power and imperial power and importance to the Romans, it was also very much a spiritual center. In fact, that it was a place where Greek and Roman gods were worshipped. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world was the, the Temple of Artemis, right? In fact, that, that, that Dramatica, Ephesia Dramatica, they actually took uh, the name of it from the Temple of Artemis, right? So these were people who were very much in touch with that world. Yet Paul goes to these people, ministers there for two years, and many people come to, to believe in Jesus and to follow Jesus. And everything was going great. And so the Christians started messing with the moon. Right? There was a guy named Demetrius who was a silversmith, and the story's in Acts 19. And, and so he made kind of a, a outcome trinket, I don't know what you call them, like, I guess, idols, right? He would make these things that, that people who worship Artemis would buy. And he noticed that the Christians, when they became Christians, stopped buying his idols. So he went and he spoke to the right people and he riled them up, and they had a big old riot in Acts, right? And, and so Paul was just like, let's go place the riot. And people much smarter than Paul was like, oh, perhaps you should go. You know, like, you placing the riot might not be the time of place, so let's just get you out of here, right? So, Paul is familiar with the season. Like, he was familiar with Ephesus. He was familiar with the place. But the other thing that's fascinating to me is that when Paul is writing now, he's writing years later. Right? And, and I think a lot of people are like, well, must be a different person. Well, he's in prison. We know he's in prison as he's writing, right? But as he's writing, I think there's two things that he wants to do. So if you break down the whole of the season, he first wants us to know that, hey, listen, ask this thing. As the community of speech, as the body of Christ, you got to know the story of the gospel. And I think for us, this is a reminder that for Paul and the ancient Christians and the, the first believers, the gospel is not just the cross. Right? So he says that we have to know the story that the God of this universe, the true power of all things, not only spoke the world into existence, but the God of the universe came to earth. And he wants us to know that that same God lives in the way that you don't have to be worried about these spirits running all around. You don't have to worry about where the world is going. You just have to focus on Jesus and following Jesus. Because if you follow Jesus, you're going to live in a way that brings you God. Then he wants you to know that yes, the cross matters, right? Because Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins. That's how we were redeemed and brought back. But that same Jesus who died was raised by the Holy Spirit. And that Jesus who died was raised by the Holy Spirit sends us out now to do his work as the church, as his body, as his witnesses. And that Jesus is above all powers in glory. All things are important for us to know the story of the gospel. And the way he does it in his season is to remind us that all of history comes to its climax in Jesus. Because it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're from Tyrene in Africa, right, or Damascus, right? It doesn't matter if you're from Jerusalem or you're from uh, somewhere in the far east, right? 
And what does it mean? Well, he starts off by saying, I'm writing to you as Paul the Apostle, as one who's been called by Jesus himself, as one who's been commissioned by Jesus and sent out to you to give you this word. Paul, who's been called out, is calling and writing to you, the people of Ephesus, God's set-apart people. He reminded to all of us that no matter where we are, that God has chosen us for this time, for this place, for this moment, for right now. That God has chosen you for your people, whoever your people are. That God has chosen you for your place, wherever your place is. And God has chosen you for your position, wherever your position is in life. So you begin with that, and then the phrase just starts flowing. Another thing that's really beautiful about verses 3 to 14 is that Paul is going to use language that's usually reserved in the Old Testament for Israel. It's reserved for God's people. But this idea of being chosen by God, of being predestined before everything, of God working for you, he uses all that language. Because praise God who blesses us with all spiritual blessings. Now again, we need to understand spiritual as the idea of being cool in your own right? God is going to bless you. And it's not the way we normally think of blessings, right? Usually it's like, I praise God for my health, my sound mind, my education, my health, my kids, right? We tend to think of blessings that way. Paul seems to believe in you. And when we say God gives us all spiritual blessings, it's about the blessings that's not for you, but in you for the kingdom. There's a difference, right? Because it's one thing to praise God for my health. But if I'm not using my health in some way to actually like put the gospel forward, like, if I'm healthy and I can do something, if I'm not doing it, am I really thanking God with my health? And you can apply that to everything, my mind, right? My resources, what I have. But what Paul starts off with saying is that we need to praise God because everything that we have is only possible in Every spiritual blessing that we have is only possible in Praise God who told us for not only salvation, but also for holiness. Praise God who told us, not just by saving us, but setting us apart. When I say God has called us to this time and place, God is inviting you to shine your light for His glory. Because you, by shining your light in your place, in your position, with where you are, God is going to use that for His glory. And then he uses some beautiful language here. He says, excuse me, in Christ, anyone can be adopted as full heirs. And this is beautiful because he's going to combine our Old Testament concept and he's going to add a, a Greek understanding to it to give us the truth of who we are as a body of Christ. The Old Testament concept of every Jewish person with a soldier, we are God's chosen people. Out of all the world, God has chosen us. And Paul says that. But it's not just you that have children in Christ, not children everyone. And those who believe, they belong to Christ too. So it's not just that, that you are now in the family of God, you are full of Remember when I talked about David and Goliath, right? Being in Christ that your king not only represents you, but everything your king wants, everything that your king has now belongs to you. The Greek understanding was the same thing. To be adopted as our son in their culture meant that you were the, the heir of the chosen. Everything your father has, everything your father earned, everything your father is belongs to you. So when Paul now says, listen, not only are we chosen by God, Jews and Gentiles, but everything that God has in Christ is right. Why? Because in Christ we've been redeemed. The Old Testament comes, the 
Old Testament account of a redeemed was what was Exodus, right? Going down into Egypt and pulling us out of slavery. The Greek or New Testament concept of redeeming is God brought us back. That we were enslaved and there was a price on our heads, and Jesus, by pulling the Calvary tree, paid for us with his blood. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. We have been delivered, we have been brought back. And in Christ, God has lavished us with his grace. I love that. I love that because Christ tends to think of God's grace as automatic, right? He's God, he's gracious. Like, he's God, what else is God supposed to do? He can be loving and gracious, right? But the idea of loving is deeper than that, right? And it's almost like for some of us who love delicious meat, right? But not only when you have your steak, but you have the right sauce with your steak, right? This is goes perfectly together. And for those of you who eat cauliflower, it's like when you have the cauliflower and the water that you drink over it to get the steam, it's just so lavish, right? Like, yeah, it's the same thing. For you, right? But for me, I'm going to talk about the steak and the sauce, right? Like, the idea is that the steak is good, but it's lavish, right? And I think that's the idea in which I want you, whether it's your cauliflower with the steam rising up to get you excited about food or, or the steak, right? Like, that's how I want us to think about the cartoons. Not that it's automatic and bizarre, but that it's extra. <laughs> It's pouring out. It's too much, if you will, right? It's not just automatic. It's too much. And it's so much that you can just swim in it, right? And I'm imagining too many things for So that's just me. So we have been left with God's grace. In verse 6 of chapter 1, he uses a word that we see one more time in the Bible, right? And it's a word that was actually what the angel said to men. Remember when the angel comes to me and says, you who are highly favored. And I love that. Because as Christians over the years, we said, well, Mary is highly favored and she's chosen my God for this type of time and place. Paul, when he writes to the Christians, says, guess what? You too are highly favored. You too are chosen by God for a special time and place. You too are chosen by God to do God's work because God loves you. And I think that the King James originally said it, and you are accepted into the blood. You're chosen by God, you're highly favored, and you're chosen into the people that God loves with His special love in His What a blessing that we're chosen. I think there's so many Christians who, who kind of get stuck on this idea, like, we're predestined and, and God takes it all ahead of time. I think we missed the point. The point isn't that, oh, you're predestined and that's all it's about. The point is that you're chosen by God. I think that's the message we still need to hear. Because there's so many of us, when we look at our lives, we do not feel something, right? There's so many of us, we look at ourselves, we say we're broken. We say we, 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 we are living in darkness, or we're not good enough. There's so many of us who, who because of the world, or the decisions that we made, we think we're only the worst thing we've done, or we're worse than the worst thing we've done. There's so many of us who don't know the, the beauty and freedom that comes with knowing that the God of the universe chooses you. So when you say to yourself, I'm not good enough, Jesus still has to choose you. When you say, God, I'm broken, how can anybody love me? Jesus still says, I choose you. When you say, you know what, I've done so bad, I can't even come back to you. Jesus still says, what? I choose you. The blessing isn't that God predestined. The blessing is that God chooses you. That's the blessing. And Paul says, we have been chosen by God so that we can give praise to the glory of God. 
And why did God bless us in Christ and choose us in Christ and love us in Christ? Because His purpose is to unify all things in heaven and earth under His joint rule. His plan is that this multi-ethnic family will not only come and come into fruition, but it will be restored and unified in Jesus. He uses the word that we interpret as mystery. For us, the mystery is like the game of clues, right? I never liked that game. But hey, that's just this confessional time, right? I just never liked that game, but I never won. I don't know how many times I played that game, my father, I never won. I still don't know how you win. I think they all cheated me, but that's another story, right? We can talk about that on my own time, I guess, right? But when the scripture of Paul writes about the mystery here, it's not the idea that it's, it's, it's just hidden and you can't figure out. It's not even the idea that you have to figure it out. It's just like you couldn't see it before. But in Jesus, you can have seen it all. That that's what it means the mystery can reveal. Not that you've got to figure out God, but you just now have the ability to see God because of Jesus. In Christ, you can see God. That's the mystery revealed. And then he talks about that the seal of it all, right? The down payment, if you will, is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit that seals and guarantees our inheritance. One of the things that is fascinating to me, I talked about David earlier and, and him being the representative and fighting for Israel. And over one of the things that you see in the Old Testament is that the Spirit will come upon people to do a good deed, right? The Spirit will come upon David to go fight go fight, right? The Spirit will come upon uh, somebody to write the scripture or to be a prophet. But in Christ, the Spirit doesn't just come upon you, the Spirit abides in you. David himself has said, well, take my Holy Spirit for me. You through faith in Jesus, you through Christ, now have the Holy Spirit living inside of you forever. So it's not just a down payment or a picture of heaven to come. It's a reminder that God now lives inside of you. As a spirit is calling you back to God, transforming you to the end of the sun, and it's making you an instrument for God's goodness and God's glory and God's kingdom. So what you see in this, this phrase of everything we have in Christ is Paul preaching a, a Trinitarian theology, right? He's saying, listen, God is the God of the universe. But everything we have is through Jesus. And everything we have through Jesus is made possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? God is the God of it all. All that we have is through the Son. And we know we have this through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's where Paul begins. And Paul wants you to know, like, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. This is what it means to be in Christ. But then he ends with something that challenges me to this day. He ends with one of his prayers, and we'll say this, and he kind of ends with Paul praying. And the reason that this, 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 this 15 or 23 challenges me is because years ago, one of my mentors, we uh, were talking about like life and, you know, like as a 17-year-old, you know everything, trying to figure out the world. And, and she kept me reminding me, she's like, you know, I pray this prayer for all my children. You know, I was just like, well, that's cool. Why are you telling me that's weird? You know, like, I'm glad you're a good mom. You pray for your kids. She goes, no, no, no. I consider you as one of my children. I was like, oh, oh. And for 22 years, she prayed this prayer over me and for me. But it challenges me because I'm really good a training for myself, my family, our church. But I don't have the same energy to pray this kind of prayer for God's church, for God's people and sisters. 
And so what Paul challenges us to say is that not just that we rely on God, we need to pray to God, but are we willing to pay the kind of prayer for one another? Are we willing to actually go to God with this kind of prayer? And what kind of prayer is it? Paul begins by saying, I am thankful to God for your witness. How amazing is it, right? A lot of times we walk in this church and like, we'll see people who inspire us and, and they're living for God and doing great things for God, and it inspires them. Paul not only thanked them and told them that they were inspiring me, but he prayed that they would keep me inspired. But he prayed that, that I, I want to be thankful for what you've done, but I also want to remember you in prayer. Because the thing about this Christian walk is that you can have 20 good years and one bad day can set you back. You never know where that bad day is coming from, right? So Paul says it's not only good for us to remember to be faithful in prayer and praying and thanking God for other people's witness, but that they would still be faithful in their witness and their walk. Right? So the idea here is when we pray for one another, are we willing to say, God, I thank you for their witness, but I'm going to pray that they stay strong. Because I don't know what tomorrow may bring, but I pray that they keep staying strong. And Paul says, when we pray, we ought to pray that the Spirit of God may give them wisdom. It's kind of you just kind of our, our songs, right? Like Psalm written with you, right? That the Spirit of God may give them wisdom and revelation to know God better. That's a lot of prayers you can pray to people. But I think one of the best ones is to pray that we may know God better. That whatever your understanding of God, it may be in hand. Whatever your view or understanding of God's love, it may just grow deeper and wider and longer, right? Whatever your understanding of God's grace, it may just keep multiplying over and over and over. And he says, I want to pray that they never lose sight of the hope for today and tomorrow. They never lose sight of the inheritance that even in this world that they live in, God is blessing them with every spiritual gift. That they may never forget that heaven comes down. That they may never forget that God is good. And he prays something that is very, very convicting and challenging to me. He prays that we may be reminded that it's not about the power that we see, whether it's political or spiritual. It's not about the power of this world. He prays that we may be reminded that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that raised the Son of God from the dead. The same power that after Jesus died and was raised. That same power also lifted and exalted him to the right hand of God. Lifted and exalted him above the whole world. That same power now lives And I think what's amazing about that is that when we often think about the power in this world, it gives you power to control, or to dictate, or to tell you what to do, or to tell you what you can't do. I think Christian power looks a little bit different. Because the power that comes from Jesus, and it's not for us, but it's for the kingdom. And so the power that raises Jesus from the dead, and our prayers to be, that God's kingdom goes forth. Our prayer should be not that we take over political governments and we take over territory or we take over financial institutions. Our prayer should be that we take over hearts and minds and lives and that Jesus would be changed. The power that we use in the dead is the power that's at the hands of the church. And so our work or our prayer, our submission to God is to say, God, where are you moving? Can we jump in? 
But God, where is your power that we need to get through this darkness? That we need to pay that careful for That we may know the power of God is not only at home in the church, but it's being released into our world. So if you sum up this entire chapter, I think there's a couple things that's really important to hold on to. And the first one that you'll see throughout the book will say in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, is that Paul wants us to know no matter where you are, whether you're Jew or Gentile, right? Whether you're from Israel or, or Alexandria, right? Whether you're a man or a woman, slave or free, husband or wife, single, whatever, whoever you are in Christ, everything that you have is only because of Christ. Your position, God choosing you, God loving you, God lavishing you with grace, God redeeming you, God setting you free, everything that you have is all in Christ. And according to Paul, the only response should be worship. And that's why when he starts thinking about Ephesians, he starts thinking about what God has done for them, he just bursts into praise from verses 3 to 14. Our response to what God has done is worship. Why? Because genuine witness must flow out of genuine worship. It's hard to tell people about Jesus when you're not really following Jesus. It's hard to be a witness for Jesus if you're not seeing Jesus as it's hard to say, Jesus, I'm living for you, when you're not really living for Jesus. If you're going to be a genuine witness, you must genuinely worship Jesus. And how do we do that? We must live to tell the story of Jesus. And that's why he's stressing that the gospel has to be more than a cross, but we need to have this ancient understanding. Because, yes, we're going to need to meet people who are in darkness and be redeemed of this thing, and we need to go to the cross and ask forgiveness and be saved. But guess what? You also might meet people who think God is just a God up there who wants nothing to do with us, and God is very sterile and cold. And then you need to tell them in the story of Jesus, the God of the universe actually comes down to earth and meets you where you are. You're going to meet people who are going to say, you know what, I've been trying my whole life, and I just can't please God, and I don't know how to do it, so I give up. And you're going to meet to tell them, well, you need to meet Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who told you how to live, how to please God. And yes, you want to meet people who say, I believe in Jesus, I, I believe to forgive my sins, but this darkness has a me, this addiction, this affliction, I just can't beat it anymore. And you have to set a point for say, I need you to know that Jesus was raised from the dead and to remind us of that any darkness we see, any brokenness we have, any light that we can't find, that Jesus is a God who redeems, that Jesus is a God who heals, that Jesus is a God who sets free. And you know what I mean? People who say, you know what? This earth is great. You know, but I can't wait to get to heaven. You need to remind them that actually heaven comes down. That Jesus isn't going to burn up the earth, but Jesus is going to redeem the earth. That's why we need the story of Jesus. It's just to tell them about the cross and their sins. But after they say, I follow Jesus, there's more of the story that can still help them along. Amen? We have to tell the story of Jesus. And if that's too intimidating for you, it's okay. You know what else you can do? Tell the story of Jesus in your life. If you can't get all of that together, just tell people what Jesus has done for you, in you, through you, and I guarantee you. That was wrong. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. If you're willing to tell what Jesus has done through you, in you, and for you, I guarantee you that the people in your life will listen. Because I can go to your best friend or your, your cousin or the person you've been praying for for 20 years, I can tell them Jesus loves them. And that's not a good idea. Okay, cool. 
for you telling them Jesus loved them, it's going to take home a little bit more. I can tell them that they will get through to this, right? That God will take you through. But you saying, this is how God has taken me to do. That's going to get a little bit more, right? God has chosen you for where you are, for who you are, for what you've lived through, for what gifts you have. And God wants to use all of those. So you either love to tell the story of Jesus, and if that seems too intimidating, just tell your people God's story in your life. How has God redeemed you? How has God set you free? How has God grown you? How has God taken you through the dark times? How has God shown you the light? How has God used you to bring people into the kingdom? Tell your story. Because the thing is, we too live in a world of power. But the power shows up in different ways, right? We live in a world where we see the power that be all around us. But we have to be reminded that Jesus is still king. We have to be reminded that Jesus is still the Lord of it all. That all things that we see are under his feet. We must be the people of power who are reliant on God. And lastly, I want to remind you of that mentor who's been praying for me for 22 years. And I want to challenge all of us to be bold enough to pray for each other's sins. If you have somebody that you've been praying about, and you've got a guy who's talking to you about this person, I want you to use the teachings 1, 15, and 23, and let that be your base prayer. Right? Pray that God may see them. Pray that they may, 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 may know their witness is seen by God, that their witness is inspiring. Pray that God may reveal himself to them, that they may know God better. Pray that they can know the hope for today, hope for tomorrow. Pray that they may know the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to them. Let us be people who pray for one another. And I think it's Paul can pray from prison. Right? If Paul can pray while he has nothing, but he can just have his thoughts, and his thoughts are, man, I see you, I see your witness, I pray for you. We can be people that pray for you. Amen? I think by that the hand on the worship team. We're going to close um, by singing a song that kind of blew up during the pandemic. Um, and, and it's a song called The Blessing. It's a very familiar song. There's a lot of videos that went around. But I, I wanted to just end with this song because I think it, it fits with this idea of, of why we need to pray for each other. Again, in, in the Old Testament, this was uh, uh, commonly referred to as the Iranian blessing. Uh, I was reminded in uh, the end of that time that a lot of Jewish weddings still say this, right? At, at the end of the wedding or, or during the wedding ceremony. But I think the reason this is a, a beautiful blessing is because it's a reminder that no matter what we're going through, no matter where we are, it's Yahweh God. The God of the universe, the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the God of everything, chooses to bless you, to keep you. So the God who sent Jesus to live and to die and raise Jesus from the dead is the God who chooses to shine his face upon you, to lavish you with grace, to show you favor. That the God of the world, the God of the universe, the God of the church, is the God who chooses to turn his face upon you and give you peace. So we stand and sing this song. May it be reminded to us, not just of the blessing that was given to Aaron and his descendants, but a blessing that we are to give to one another in life, in witness, and in prayer. Let's stand and sing. If you need prayer for anything, please come up. We'd love to pray for you.
look at Jesus, Paul wants us to know that we have been chosen by God. The God of the universe, out of everything, chooses us. And the God of the universe chooses us to not only be set apart and to live holy, but He's promised and given us every spiritual blessing that we can imagine. That He has redeemed us through the blood of His Son. That He has set us free from darkness. That He has adopted us and made us full heirs to His kingdom. That we are highly favored. We are accepted in His family. And that we are chosen to bring praise for His glory. So as we get ready to the part, may we be people who are reminded and hold on to this simple truth. That the God who's the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow is the God who's choosing us to be a blessing for our world. That the God who holds us is the God who holds our world together. That the God who shines His face on us is the God who calls us to let our light shine so that people can glorify Him. May we be people who know all that God has done for us, but may we not fight to hold on to it, but live to give it away. May we be people who know that genuine witness comes out of genuine worship, and may our lives be a worship to Him. May we be people of power who are reliant on God, and may we be people who are committed to God and our prayers for one another. Amen. I finally let God, we thank you so much for the story of Jesus our Christ. Lord Jesus, you were the representative, you were the Messiah, you were the king. You took on the, 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 the spirit and the destruction and sin and death and the devil himself. And Lord, we thank you that through your trial, we who are dead have now been made alive. We who are enslaved have now been set free. We who have a price over our heads because of our sins and what we have earned with separation from you, Lord, we through the grace of God have now been freed and saved. So, Lord, we pray that we may be people who not only know what it means to be in Christ, but live to tell the story of Christ. God, we thank you for what you've done in the world, and we praise you also for what you've done in us. So, God, help us to be faithful like you are faithful, to pray for one another the way you pray for us, and to live lives of worship, Lord, that all we say, that all we do, that all we think, that all our actions, Lord, is for your kingdom come, your will be done. So now, Lord, as we leave as we depart this place, will we be reminded that God of the universe chooses to shine His face on us, to bless us, to keep us, to pour us favor, to lavish us with grace. God, help us to receive all of that, be filled with all of that, and then go forward into our world through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen? God bless you all. Have a good week.